Podcast. My name is Dustin. And I'm Lakeisha. And welcome back to the podcast about uh, movie reviewing and beer reviewing, as we do both of those things. Yes, we enjoy them both, so we get to talk about them both. Yes. And uh, this week's movie, as this will be the first review, uh, it's it's not quite October as we record this, but I'm going to round up. Right. Rounding up to October. Practically October. Practically October. So we revisited uh, a bit of a bloody mess of a movie (laughs) that we both, for some reason, both enjoy. Yes. Uh, Even though I um, am not a big horror movie fan, mm -hmm. I do enjoy this movie. Yes. We uh, revisited The Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Written by Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon. Um, And interestingly enough, Joss Whedon did not direct this film it was actually film uh directed by drew goddard Goddard's directorial debut right yeah so all right so uh but before we get into the cabin in the woods uh we each have a different beverage that we have while we're doing this conversation Mm -hmm. and you were going to tell me about yours first sure um so i have uh i'm drinking something by georgetown brewing it's called the bodhisattva um and I just happened to be in the store and I saw this uh, label and I just stopped because it looked interesting. And then you uh, look at the box and it has a jackalope on the back. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but uh, it's Georgetown Brewing's. Uh, Georgetown Brewing is from Seattle. Yeah. Um, it is um, kind of right in the heart of Seattle. And they actually didn't start out as Georgetown when they were first founded. They were when they were founded, they uh, called themselves Short Round Brewing. Okay. Specifically named after the sidekick in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, and then once they got in there, they uh, decided to rename it to Georgetown, um, and that was uh, done by the co-founders. Uh, Roger Bialis and Manny Chow, um, but I it's a it was just an interesting cover and uh, it's an IPA uh, of course, <laughs> um, but when you read about it on their website, they talk about the fact that um, they really don't like writing about themselves. Okay. So the entire page is just about I could tell you about these things. But really, writing about the history of breweries is boring, and I don't want to. And and they, um, but they talk about the point in time when um, what they'd rather like to, what they'd rather do. Uh, Roger would rather hand you a pint of Georgetown beer to enjoy than to talk about the fact that he used to clean kegs after a day of harvesting eyeballs. Um, and I know Manny would rather get you excited about how much money Bob's Brown Ale raised for the Ronald McDonald House than talk about the early days of selling kegs of their new Manny's Pale Ale around town. So here's the history of the brewery. Two guys that liked beer a lot and hated working for other people came together to start a brewery. Between the time they brewed test batches of pale ales and purchased a 15-barrel system from a defunct brewing in, brewery in North Carolina to now when they support 50 employees and are the largest independent brewery in Washington state, a lot has happened. And that's, that's it. That's it. Okay. So, um, and I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, the Bodhisattva is, um, an IPA. It is, uh, pretty smooth. They call Mm -hmm. it a darn tasty. Yeah. That was, I saw that on the can. That is their tagline. Um, it has 80 IBUs, so it is pretty hoppy, but it's really smoothed out by almost, um, it. they have like these English ale yeasts that they use in it, and I think that really like uh, smooths out the, the hoppiness of it. So yeah. it's not, it doesn't have a big bite, uh, but it's very light, it's very refreshing, and it's very good. So the Bodhisattva. Cool. I am having a beer from a brewer we've talked about a few times in the past, Gigantic Brewing mm-hmm. from here in Portland. Um, we've actually been been to this place once before. Uh, interesting in that they don't really have a ton of 
they essentially they maybe have like one or two things they brew all the time otherwise they're always brewing a different thing right so this is actually labeled as beer number 70 so this would be like the 70th different recipe that they've done before it is called the endless juicy ipa and um, the endless juicy ipa it is you know it's a hazy ipa it says on the bottle that their true goal in this beer was using the magic that is citra and mandarina hops to create a juicy and citrusy hazy ipa that is endlessly delicious it's it's okay um it kind of tastes like uh, no, there's a beer that we both really like, the uh, from Fort George Brewing, the Three Way IPA. Uh huh. It's like it's trying to be that, but it's a little watered down oh, version okay. of that. I mean, it's still fine. Uh, the bottle has this really wild psychedelic jellyfish looking thing on it, which is pretty trippy. And they also have like a UPC code that you can scan to download a song because they typically try to match a song from like a small band or something right to their beer and so they some a band called chanty darling and the song is their song is casual that you can get if you buy this beer and scan your scan it with your phone oh so that's kind of a neat thing they do the beer itself is nothing really setting it apart from any other hazy ipa that's out there Mm -hmm. i mean it's not bad but it's not it's okay it's not endlessly whatever but yeah, anyway, so I've had better, I've had worse. It's okay. The uh, endlessly, what do I call it? I already forgot. Endlessly juicy IPA. <laughs> and that tells us um, a little bit about what we need to know about that beer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, now we know what we're drinking during the course of the podcast. Uh, we usually each week come up with a uh, recommendation. Yes. So, um,. This week, I'm going to recommend tvtropes.org. Okay. So it's one of the places that I go to when I'm uh, like looking up interesting things about a movie and I want to know random trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of fun to get in there because uh, once you log in, they, you can look up any movie or TV show or anything and it'll talk to you a little bit. Like people can can put in different things about that movie and it's based around uh they hyperlink to different tropes that you see so this idea of if there is um you know if if you're watching a movie and they're talking about you know the dumb blonde trope you uh-huh. can click on it and it'll then take you to a other series of movies that talk all about you know that have that same sort of trope in it um and it's a lot of fun just to kind of read and see what other people are posting because there are um people who work for them and they actually are hiring right now apparently oh and it's all about um just really digging into talking about movies and fun facts and they have these different categories um that you can look into it's trivia head scratchers um, awesome uh, ideas and then there's one that's even called fridge and so that's when it's like something that might be overused mm-hmm. um, and so it's kind of a cool way of, of really dissecting a TV show or a movie and looking into just kind of fun facts that you never knew about a movie or or why they did some some things yeah so um, so I'm recommending tvtropes.org because it's a lot of if you like movies and you like trivia, it's a great place to go. Oh, sounds fun. Okay. All right. For my recommendation, I'm going back to, uh, you know, since we're rounding up to October, for uh, I'm going back to like kind of a scary horror-themed recommendation. And I'm recommending another comic book series. Uh, this one, not only is this from a Portland-based writer, it is a series that takes place in Oregon. A series called Nailbiter, written by uh, Portland's own Joshua Williamson. Mm-hmm. Uh, who with we the, have met. Whom we have met a bunch of times. We've, uh, with our artist named Mike Hernandez. An interesting premise. I remember hearing about this series, just seeing like an interview that had like the, the first cover of the first issue, which is really gross. 
And um, the premise is in this uh, little fictional town of Buckaroo, Oregon, apparently came 16 of the world's worst serial killers. Mm. And so it is about, and the latest one, the nail biter, um, you know, is like, he uh, gets off. Like he was caught seemingly red-handed, but somehow uh, it gets off when he's at trial and uh, returns home to Buckaroo, Oregon. Oh. Um, and then another, is, uh, one, the one character who come, take, leaves his job, he's like a detective of some kind, works for the government. He comes to Buckaroo, Oregon to try to figure out, you know, why. Why this little town? Why did all these, all these crazy... Because they all had a different theme, you know, kind of like you would see in a horror movie. Right. And uh, he calls his friend, Finch, who is a, a Navy, um, like a Navy cop. Uh, you know, he's like, I figured it out. You got to get here. I have to show you the secret. And then Finch shows up in Buckaroo, Oregon to see that his friend has disappeared. And then it's just essentially it's a really big mystery mm -hmm. as well as a horror comic. And a lot of really interesting characters. You figure the the nail biter killer factors in. You know, at some point, you know, he's like, Jesus, is he? Gonna, is this guy going to turn out to be a good guy? Right. You know, sometimes the artwork gets really gross, and it's really good. Um, it has a finite ending. It, I think it ended around thirty issues. I haven't even read read it all yet, mm -hmm. but it is very clever. I, I'm finish it eventually because i'm interested to see what the overall mystery is because there's there's got to be something it's almost something twin peaksian about right. it um but what was interesting is when we one of the first times i met joshua williamson he had said that he based um the town of buckaroo oregon on a real town in oregon and he kind of talked he didn't want to reveal what it was so he kind of talked in general terms about this town and for a for a little bit i thought he might be talking about my hometown and then i talked to him at a convention and found out he was not he was talking about malala oregon oh. it's where he grew up okay um but also just the research he did because he did a lot of research into serial killers um and found out that you have like everybody just in general 20 percent chance like a one in five chance that you will cross paths with a serial killer at some point in your life and not know it. Well, that's creepy. Isn't that crazy? It's creepy and crazy. Yes. But more creepy. Yeah. So I would highly recommend Nailbiter and also dig up the, some of the interviews that Joshua did in like promoting the series where he talks about his research for it because that also was pretty fascinating. Okay. So from Image Comics, Nailbiter. <laughs> All right, so now we get to dive into the movie. Yes. So, uh, yeah, Cabin in the Woods came out in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, it's described as a comedy horror. Yeah. Um, which I would agree is true, mm -hmm. um, especially since it definitely goes to take the the idea of the horror movie, and much like the movie Screamed in kind of dissect it by the tropes that have developed over time mm -hmm. as kind of the, the scream uh, thriller movies have, have become popular. Yeah. You know, so um, I think starting way back, probably Psycho would be the first kind of, you know, horror movie where nail biter, young girl being, Oh, sure. You know, yeah. murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you start to see it develop more and more over time um, after the movie Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, which we will also be reviewing at some point in time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it, it really kind of takes on the almost the, the movie uh, formula that you see in a horror in all these horror movies uh, and then kind of turns it on its head. Yes. So in in what I would call classic Joss Whedon style, mm -hmm. um, and even though I'm not a horror movie fan, I think it's that element of both comedy and kind of flipping the idea of horror movies on their on its head. Yeah, which is why I like it, even though it is still 
gruesome and I cringe a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's enough uh, Whedon humor in it that makes it, you know, I can keep watching it. Yeah. I w- every time I watch this movie, I wish I could go back to the first time when I don't when I didn't know what was coming mm-hmm. because it is so this the concept is so out there right you know I remember hearing about it coming out of like a, a movie festival like South by Southwest or something and just like we just saw the wildest horror movie we've seen in five years happened <laughs> in the woods oh my god. So that's why I remember first hearing about it and really wanting to see it. But I thought that they were talking about how it was just going to be a... I was expecting just like a brutal, you know, gore fest mm-hmm. type of thing. And, it, you know, it gets bloody. But it was... They were talking about something else. Yeah. So Interesting uh, fun fact. 44 minutes go by in the movie before a single person gets killed. It's a lot. Right. So even though it is a horror movie, they spend a lot of time with the buildup. Yeah. And with the setting up of the movie to, I think, it pays off in the end. It does. Very much so. So this is a movie about uh, some youngsters going to a uh, cabin in the woods for a vacation Weekend. weekend retreat. Fun times. Uh, but there is something going on in the background, perhaps manipulating them for alternative purposes. Alternative, yes. So I just have to pause and say, as you were saying, that five, what you say, five college students heading to a cabin in the woods. And I immediately just flashed to Evil Dead, Dead musical, musical, where those are lyrics. In a song. In one of the opening songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, which uh, there's a lot of Evil Dead kind oh, of I, yeah, I references. That. It mm. is definitely it is clearly one of the inspirations for the movie. Mm. So, um, for those people who were you know hating on it because they were like, oh, it's just it's just trying to do the Evil Dead. Yeah, everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, and the cabin looks like the Evil Dead cabin. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. So. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so we each picked three things. Mm-hmm. We didn't tell each other about them. No, our three favorite bits. Three favorite bits. And I have to admit, it was hard for me to come up with just three. Yeah. Because um, it is um, a great spoof on, not spoof, it is a great uh, homage to horror movies and just mm. movies in general. Yeah. So, with that being said, I think I go first this week. Yeah. And I am going to pick Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. Mm -hmm. They are Sitterson and Hadley in this movie. They're hilarious. They're the first people that you meet in Mm -hmm. this movie. And they look like just two average businessmen cubicle you know middle management yeah middle management desk jockeys mm-hmm. um and you know they're they show up in their short sleeve shirt uh button-up collar with a tie mm-hmm. um and they're kind of sitting around a water cooler talking about you know um hadley who's played by uh, bradley whitford who's hilarious is talking about um you know his wife wanting to start a family mm-hmm. and how she's already baby proofing the house and it's driving him nuts, you know, and then they just casually are getting ready for work and they run into Amy Ackerman, who is um, awesome. And she's super stressed out and she keeps talking to them about this has got to work. This has got to work. The other ones are, are have all failed. It's only us in Japan. Mm-hmm. This has got to work. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we totally got this. And they just kind of roll off into they get in one of those little like, like little golf cart. Type yeah, thing. the little golf carts yeah. that you see in those big facilities and uh, roll off. And then the movie starts and you find out that these guys are like basically um engineering they're like engineers mm-hmm. but they're engineering the deaths of five teenage uh, college students yeah and everything that they do is both horrible and hilarious um 
they run a death pool. So right before, uh, right as, you know, these wacky college kids are heading off to, to uh, the cabin, they uh, everybody comes in and starts taking bets on what the murder device is going to be <laughs> right what's going to be their the method of their demise right and um and hadley is so bitterly disappointed because all he wants is for a merman to be selected mm-hmm. and um and it's not but hadley does you know ultimately get to see a merman up close yeah <laughs> During his death, um, but they just have these great moments where they are just kind of doing their job, right? Yep. But their job just happens to be, you know, engineering death. Yeah. You know, in horrible, horrible yeah. ways. Manipulating the brutal murder, right? Of these five youngsters, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're clearly part of a team. I mean, uh, Amy Ackerman plays Lynn, who's a chemist. Mm-hmm. And there, she comes in, and she she's casually talking about the fact that they've laced uh, the pot that's supposed to be smoked by one of the characters. Hmm. Um, they've been lacing it for weeks, so he should totally be um, suggestive, suggestible. Mm-hmm. Um, they've put something in the hair dye of uh, the one of the characters um, so that you know she will be stupid. Yeah, you know it's supposed to like make her dumb, and you know like they just casually are talking about these things, like it's everyday matter. But you know, people are gonna yeah. die. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it so it's really good. And then they have some great lines where they're you know bemoaning how hard their job is, and Hadley looks over to to Sitterson, played by Richard Jenkins, and goes. Remember those days when you could just climb up a mountain and throw a virgin in a volcano? And uh, Jenkins' reply is like, how old do you think I am? As Mm -hmm. they just casually like flip a switch and something else happens. Um, And they're so proud of their work as they're creating mood lighting. There's a scene in the forest right before the first death occurs. Right, where they engineer Um, the... Yeah, the, the mood lighting. And so they like turn on the pheromone mist mm-hmm. you know to to up the ante to make to ensure that they have sex yeah and then uh that's chris hemsworth and anna hutchinson i think are the actors yes. playing those two characters mm-hmm. um and then so they 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 turn on the up the pheromone mist and then they turn on the mood lighting to adjust moonlight to create the perfect spot where they're going to want to lay down and yeah it's just it's crazy. I mean, there's even a mo- moment in time where they are having a party in the control room because they think that they've succeeded. Mm-hmm. And in the background, they've got uh, the the big the main character Dana, um, who's played by Kristen Connolly. She's she's just being thrown around and tortured by um, the evil murderous zombie family. Yeah, um, and they're all just dancing and drinking champagne and tequila like uh. it's nothing um and so it's that mundane um activity mm. crossed with like the horror movie aspect that that juxtaposition is is just results in you having to laugh yeah you know and they even talked about uh drew goddard talked about how he was inspired by that when he grew up in uh, what Arizona or Los something? Alamos Los Alamos yeah and people would dress like that and they would um, go about like this organize this ordinary life while they were building weapons weapons um, of mass destruction mm-hmm. you know like and so that was what inspired him to create those two characters mm. but anyway so they're great yeah so. They are one of my favorite things, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to uh, really quickly just to kind of mention some specific things that I that happen in the movie that I love. Okay. So like you mentioned in the beginning, when they're talking around the water cooler about, you know, babies and cabinetry, they talk to Amy Ackerman, and they blame the chemistry department for almost screwing this up. In right? 1998. They, so they're talking a little shit to her. Mm-hmm. Is this where you? This is where I remember it really lays the foundation. Where I, when I first watched it, I was like, "What is this about?" Mm-hmm. Because they get in their little golf cart and drive off, 
And that's where you see the title of the movie. Right. The Cabin in the Woods in big bright red block letters printed in a freeze frame over these two white middle management, you Mm -hmm. know, office slugs in their golf cart. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so that's weird. Uh, And then uh, as you start to, after you get introduced to the kids and they get in their Winnebago or whatever... And they end up stopping somewhere to get gas. <laughs> and this is where they run into this old guy uh, that they refer to as the Harbinger. They got to have some character to kind of essentially issue them a warning about where they're going. That's right. part the, of the ritual, I guess. The initial right? warning and the initial choice yeah. to turn around. Yes. And this guy takes his business apparently really seriously because he calls in to the <laughs> office and they're like, clearly they know what's coming and they don't want to talk to him. They're like, ah, can you, can you take a message? He's like, he's really pushy and, and he, he kind of creeps me out. It's like, okay, so put him on. So they put him on speaker <laughs> and he's going, talking about how the lambs have moved on to the killing room floor. <laughs> it's really kind of gothic, big word, like speech about how important and how dark things are. And a quick pause. Am I on speakerphone? Right. And Hadley's like, oh, oh, no, 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 you're not. Yes, I am. I can hear the echo. <laughs> and everyone's kind of like trying to not laugh. It was, oh, you're, you know what? My bad. You're right. Here, let me fix that. And he kind of thumps the table and leaves him on speakerphone. Okay, you're good. Go ahead. And he continues on almost in a different tone of voice. In this serious, this serious ominous. ominous speech. Am I still on speakerphone? And then everybody just starts laughing <laughs> because they pulled this joke on this guy. So they had this is almost banality of you know their existence and their job, right? But like you know, but then they're gonna be watching and helping to have this like brutal murders happen. And there's always like you know, a couple times they're like they'll they'll talk serious about what they're doing, but then all of a sudden like it. Pure Joss Whedon, you know, will cut that off and do something silly. Right. Like uh, at the end, like uh, not at the end, but when they think they've completed the ritual and all that's left is the the final girl, you know, the virgin right. girl. And she's like being attacked by the, the, the zombie family. And they're like, uh, actually, you know, it kind of her death is optional. She doesn't have to die. Just that she's the last one remaining. And Bradley Whitford's like, you know. I find myself really rooting for this girl. Something about her. She's got a lot of heart and hey, tequila is my baby. Yeah. Like everybody comes in to start the after party and just, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you have this sensitive moment that is just, it's right on the verge of you being like, oh, they're showing some empathy. Oh, no, they're not. No, yeah. they're not. Yeah. So those guys, those are a couple of old pro character actors that are, Perfect for what they they end up doing. Right. So you can't not love them. I I agree. They are they are hilarious. So, um, and then it is it is just poetic justice when uh, at the end Hadley sees his merman. Yes. And then is promptly killed by it. And all the blood comes shooting out of its blowhole. I know it's That's so gross. Great. So gross. Um. Okay. So, my number two is um, the, the just the general uh, trope of the five teenagers, or the five college students uh-huh. um, that have to go into the woods or go into some creepy area and are then subsequently murdered one by one. And um, so, it's... Like, first of all, I was starting to think like, oh, yeah, I mean, that does seem to be the trope. The trope. There's always four or five mm-hmm. that go in and there's always only one that survives at the end of the movie. Um, and so then I started thinking like, where does that trope, where did that trope start? I don't even, I don't even know where to trace that back to. Uh-huh. Um but it really is kind of the given. And Scream latches on to that in, in 1998, in their first one. They kind of call out the idea of who can be a murderer or who can be murdered and who won't be right. based on a certain series of events, you know. Um, and, and it's very nuanced, too. Like, they start uh, with, 
at the at the start of the movie when they start to introduce the characters. Uh, you've got Kristen Connolly as Dana, who is obviously the uh, the virgin, even though she makes a point at the end of the movie of pointing out that she's not a virgin. Yeah. Um, but then they have Hems- Chris Hemsworth, who's obviously, you know, he's the jock. Mm-hmm. Um, but they make a point of, of pointing out that he is um, a sociology major on full academic scholarship. He's really smart. Yeah. And even at the beginning, um, he, he starts out by, he's joking with his girlfriend, with, um, with Jules, about like, where did you get these books, you know? And she... Uh, laughingly replies with the PSA from like the late 80s. From, the, from yeah. you, okay? I learned it from watching yeah, you. the old Say No to Drugs campaign. Right. Yeah. Um, but then he promptly like looks at these books and looks at Dana and is like, oh, no, no, no. You don't want these books. Mm-hmm. He tosses them on the bed. But then he walks over and picks out other books and he's like, these are the ones you should read instead. Your, your class will totally work this way. And you... I didn't really pick up on this fully until I'd watched it a couple of times that um, they they select their five people, like the architects or the organization or whatever mm-hmm. they're called, um, and then they turn them into what yes. they need. You know, so they are um, boosting him with a lot of testosterone to get him to turn into more of an alpha male or a jock. Mm-hmm. Um and even right before he dies, he's pretty level-headed, and he is like giving instructions. This is what we're gonna do, and I promise I'm gonna come back for you. And you know, uh, so like saying things that would make sense. Yeah, that makes in that sense. situation. What um, you should be doing. So and you know, and so then you see him. So you kind of see that transition from kind of smart and academic and fun and fun because he's a co- you know college mm-hmm. student, and nobody said he had to be one or the other. Um, to kind of dumb jock back to kind of smart before he dies you know um they have a blonde the blonde she's the the whore Mm -hmm. they call her um and she also is a smart pre-med major Mm -hmm. um but they she's dyed her hair blonde and the chemicals in the in 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 the dye are supposed to affect her ability you know her general behavior right um you know, so they do these things to create their characters. Mm-hmm. It's not that they are those characters. You know, they are those people. So it it's this real, ultimately sophisticated kind of idea of um, the stereotypes and what you see, what you expect to see mm-hmm. versus you can manipulate a situation to get the stereotype. Right. You know, um, so it's really good. Um I, I just thought it was a great way of kind of turning that idea on its head. And then you have uh, Sigourney Weaver coming in at the end. She's the director. Um, and she describes the whole purpose of the ritual. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you you think about that and you're like, oh, yeah. So all of those other movies, like those cla- the, the horror movie formulas that we've seen, you know, you could reasonably go back and look at all of them and be like, oh, yeah, they were just the rituals mm-hmm. for that year. Oh, sure. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, because there is the, what, Cabin Fever was a horror movie that yeah. way. Um, even if you go to the more uh, 90s, early 2000s rich, um, like, what is it, uh, Wax Museum, or I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. or, oh my gosh, there's a ton of them in those time period. Um, in the 90s that were all beautiful young people, yeah. teenagers and slash college students making really dumb choices and all getting murdered. Uh, and so suddenly you could go back and be like, Oh, the, that must have just been the ritual for that year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can see that. So, so anyway, that's uh, my second one. Okay. Uh, for my second one, I am picking one of the, the five youngsters. I know who you're going to pick. Uh, Fran Kranz. Oh, yeah. The actor as Marty the Stoner. Mm-hmm. He is essentially like uh, the real life version of Shaggy <laughs> from the Scooby-Doo cartoons. But again, he's taking this recognizable character and giving you something new. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, I really like him because, you know, yeah, he shows up, you know, just shows up in a car with a bunch of marijuana smoke pouring out of it. Right. He has a bong that can collapse down to look like a coffee mug, you know. Um, But what I really noticed this time is that that character in other movies is also like Shaggy in the the Scooby-Doo cartoons is typically a coward. Mm -hmm. You see right away that he isn't. Like when they meet the harbinger, the scary old guy at the gas station, he's the first one to start talking shit to this guy who's scaring everybody. Like he has the great line where the harbinger talks about something been here since like after the war. And someone goes, which war? And uh, he says something, you goddamn know well what war... (laughs) And he has this great line about, would it be the war or was the blue team against the gray team? Perhaps brother was fighting brother. I know. And he's like, are you sassing me? He goes, hey, you were an asshole to my friend. He's the first one to speak up. Right. You know, um, he's the he's the one that, you know, unwitting, unknowingly some of his dialogue foreshadows what happens. Right. He's the one that kind of figures out that there's something else happening. As you mm-hmm. find out that the his dose the dosed marijuana that they supposed they gave him he actually wasn't smoking he was right. smoking his own stuff and so his he secret wa- secret stash and uh, so he's the one who really kind of lets the audience know you know these yeah these are all characters that you should recognize for these reasons like the jock and the the slut or the whatever mm-hmm. but he's like but that's that's not who these guys these are my friends these are not who they are. Right. You're the one that he's through him. You find out that Chris Hemsworth is on academic scholarship, you know. Right. And, um, you know, and I've been around them they've, when they've been drunk. They're not like this. You know, he's the one that really pushes. So, so yeah, it's really clever that they give you these archetypical characters, but not. Right. You know. And, he's also the one who says at a point in time where Chris Hemsworth is making a good point. Mm-hmm. We're all going to stick together. And they, they switch back to the control room and they're like, no, 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 we've got to, you know, change mm-hmm. his mind. And he gets blasted in the face with some sort, sort of, of... Some sort of gas that yeah, yeah, suggestive makes him gas. stupid. And he turns around and he's like, no, we need to split up. And everyone else is like, yeah. Or Jesse Williams' character is like, that's a good idea. Yeah. And you look at Fran Krentz and he's like, what? Like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and see how they decide, how it's determined what the what the means of their deaths are going to be is they all go down into that basement. Right. And there's all these weird trinkets, right? And any, just whoever is the first to activate a certain thing, you know, uh, and it's uh, Dana who starts reading from that diary. The diary, that, yes. That, that brings what the, I forget the name of the zombie family now, that comes to life. Um, he's reading the diary of patience uh, in this horrible family, like sadistic family. And she's like, oh, it looks like there's some words here that are Latin. You know, it's all really spooky and scary. And it's <laughs> and it's uh, it's Marty who's like, OK, I'm drawing a fucking line in the sand at reading yeah. the Latin. <laughs> you know, somehow he just knew. And, you know, and he's the one who uh, they do pull a bit of a. A fast one, you know, where they like they make you think he's been killed, but he, he but he hasn't hasn't been. And yeah, I know. I guess like because you don't actually see him die on screen. That's kind of the rule. If you don't see the body, you know it. You know it, maybe, it, it probably happen. didn't happen. But he's being drug off into the woods, and as soon as he disappears off camera, you hear and you see some blood flying in the in the, the sound effects of gross stuff happening. So as soon as he got off camera being drug on his stomach he had to have like flipped around and done some real ninja shit hey he stabs that guy with a trowel that also is one of my favorite lines yeah when like he rescues dana and they end up in this weird like service way hatchway hatch or whatever and she sees this like pile of body parts that is still alive and trying to grab her and she screams at it and he goes yeah so i i uh dismembered that guy with a trowel what have you been doing Right. <laughs> I, I so, love it. So it's just that they took that typical character and he's not the coward. He's mm-hmm. ultimately the smartest one in the room. He just points in time doesn't realize it. Right. He's pretty fun. And he saves and Dana. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it is really a good kind of, again, flipping that, flipping the script yeah. a bit about who's there and what they can really do. Mm-hmm. 
So I agree. Uh, Fran Kranz is hilarious. And apparently, even though he looks like a total stoner in this movie um, and is wearing all these baggy clothes, mm-hmm. implying he's a stoner, apparently he was like one of the fittest guys there. Yeah, I remember that seeing that story on like the, the, if you watch it with like the director's commentary, I think they bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, they say they couldn't have him take his shirt off at all because he was just as ripped as everybody yeah, else. Yeah, as ripped as Chris Helmsworth, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I would agree, uh, Marty is a great foil. Uh, he's a great kind of also foreshadowing of things aren't always mm-hmm. what they appear to be. Yeah. So I like it. All right. My number three uh, was the scene where Marty and Dana let all of the monsters out. Yeah. Um, so they've made it down the elevator mm-hmm. they've um and it turns out that the the box that they're in or the elevator shaft that they're in is in fact uh the elevator that the buckners came out the of the buckners yeah. they are the buckners they are a redneck zombie family or a redneck murdering zombie family pain worshiping pain worshiping zombie family yes um so they're in there and while the box is moving they run into and they learn um, that they've chosen their that mm. they've chosen the manner of their death um, by getting to see a few of the other horrors that yeah. would await them, and so when they finally get out of the elevator, they're kind of like working their way through um, the hallways, and then Sigourney Weaver's voice comes up over the PA, and she's like, "We have to do this," mm-hmm. um, and at one point in time, she's like, "So forgive us." And let us get on with a job, you know. And they they just happen to hide in the control room. And a bunch of militia come running out. They've got their guns and they're in full tactical gear. Mm-hmm. And they run into the lobby and there's elevators on both sides. And, uh, you know, they're aiming at the, at the control room. And Dana just goes, okay, let's get this party started. And she, she hits the just override button. Because, of course, there's a big red button that lets all of those horrible things out at once. Right. And so there's just this moment. They're all sitting in there and they're just aiming. And all of a sudden there's a moment of kind of silence. And one of the guys in the military gear looks over at the elevator and the elevator dings. All the lights go on and you just hear the ding. And he goes, ah, shit. And the elevator doors open and pandemonium commences as these horror movie monsters come flying and jumping out of the elevators and the next thing you know is um the you know the the window of the the control room where dana and marty are is just Mm -hmm. splattered with blood and so there's just you know screaming commences and then uh there's an like Two minutes later, the next scene comes out, and the, there's more militia guys, and they're running down, and they've got their guns, and they're in full tactical gear, and they come around the corner, and it's the lobby, and the yeah. lobby's just strewn with blood. Like, there's blood all over the floor, there's bodies all over the floor, there's blood on the walls, mm-hmm. and uh, there's, like, three, I don't know, cannibalistic zombies there kind of eating people. Yeah, just, It's yeah. super gross. And then, all of a sudden, you hear the elevators go... And the lights go on, and the doors open again, and pandemonium commences again. Um, And so it's just like more crazy happens. And you know the architects who are sitting in the in the control room are seeing all of this, and that's kind of one of the best, but also most creepy scenes, because they're sitting in the control room, and they're on all of the different monitors that are up there are different horrible things that are happening. So all of these monsters are there and you just see a glimpse of what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, there are some gruesome deaths and I'm not particularly happy when I get to, when I see the uh, beautiful white unicorn um, stab somebody repeatedly with their horn. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it's just... Uh, it is, it's this crazy moment of pandemonium and every nightmare that you've ever had, um, is being played out 
yeah. as all of these horrors are um, killing everybody who's in this facility. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of that moment of they're reaping their own rewards there. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's a great, great scene. Uh, horrible scene. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, but it's perfectly well done. Yeah. So my last thing is also kind of that, uh, but more just because they take that time. You see all the different things that they had this these people apparently had imprisoned, mm-hmm. you know, to use for whatever. So you um, you have this elevator that apparently can move vertically and horizontally, right? So you can see all these different cells. So it's like a great, um, you know, way to kind of tip the cap to all these other horror movies that right. come prior, right? There's the whether it's just a werewolf, a uh, scary ghost, um, the the guy with like a bunch of saws in his head, and he has like a little the puzzle device that's clearly an homage to Hellraiser, right? Um, you know the the clown. You know you could say you know maybe that's a reference to it, um, and just you know and so many other other things mm-hmm. and uh the the elevator itself the way it moves could be a, a reference to a movie called cube yeah um and uh so yeah just uh how they use that um it was really fun to see all those different different things it made me wonder well how did they catch them all <laughs> right what is the story behind how they built this facility and were able to entrap all these horrible things right. to use for for the for the for their ritual sacrifices or whatever. The giant cobra that's yeah, running around just the eating giant things. giant cobra. Right. The like, en- the enormous vampire bats. Right. The Jafar uh turns into a cobra at the yeah, end of of Aladdin. Aladdin size mm-hmm. uh yeah, cobra totally stuck in a small little cube. Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah, and just and then just the wildness of mm-hmm. that whole like yeah, and just yeah, because they I really like how they made that whole area just like pristinely white and lit with luminescent you know light bulbs, mm-hmm. so that when it just turns red, it's you know, a big deal. It's a, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I I think that that kind of flipping it around, like you know, they start out in that kind of sterile environment again, just another day at the office. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, then not mm-hmm. in a very dramatic fashion. Yes, <laughs> um, is is again what made the movie so good. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated. I well, I don't know that I appreciated it, but I thought it was good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was well done. So, um, okay. Are there any? We've reached under three now. Yep. Do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be remiss not to at least, because we've said her name a bunch, but uh, the lead actress, Dana, mm-hmm. uh, Kristen Connolly, is really solid, I think, as the the ultimate, you know, what you assume is going to be the final girl, as right. the terminology is. She's a pretty good, solid uh, job as being, like, the kind of the, the center, the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at, at the end, teaming up with... Uh, with Marty, right? Kind of. So I think she's really solid and really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the um, what was the murder family called again? The, the Buckners. The Buckners. They have um, so like the the Jedediah, I think is his name. The father Buckner ha- uses a bear trap on a chain. Right. That. It's creepy. Oh, it's horrible. Every time he gets somebody with that thing, it just makes me... That's a really great concept, like horror-wise, as kind of a weapon or whatever. Mm He's like, get somebody, gets them in the back, and he's just dragging them. Away. Oh, Uh, oh yeah. yeah. That's really good. So there's a couple of things that I really... That I also enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There There are a lot of things in this that... When I see it, like, again, I, I appreciated what you said earlier about the idea that you you enjoyed that moment, like, when you first saw it, because you had no idea what was coming, mm-hmm. and so everything was kind of a shocker. Um, I appreciate that now that I've seen it, I know what's coming, 
So there are other little like pieces of the movie that I can either I can enjoy or I get something else out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that. I mean, we've mentioned all of the main characters except for Jesse Williams, um, who plays the potential right. love interest of Holden. Um, he's, you know, I feel bad. He's a little bland. His entire job is to look pretty and be the scholar so that when he, you know, he's the sympathetic potential romantic lead. Yeah. Right? Until he gets stabbed in the throat. Yes. Uh, but he's in it and just kind of adds to the like five pretty people mm-hmm. who go up to the cabin in the woods and then die horrible, horrible deaths. Um, but he does, he, he is, he's good. He's, he plays a, a very good kind person because there's guy. this scene where oh, yeah. they, like they realize that there's a one-way mirror in his room mm-hmm. so he can see into the other room uh where Kristen connelly's character is and as she starts undressing because for whatever reason that's what you do in front of a mirror everybody apparently felt the need to get out of their clothes and change clothes once they got to the cabin right um and so, you know, but so he's kind of like, oh, okay. And then he, then he's like, has the good guy moment where he's just like, I, I mean, I'm a guy and I'm kind of entranced, but nope, no. And he decides to not, you right. know, dive into creepy voyeur and he pounds on the, the, the wall and stops her. Um, and then they trade rooms. Mm-hmm. So he trades rooms with her. And then he immediately gets undressed. So that's another thing. I didn't really think about that until this time, too. So he trades rooms. He He, knows that it's there. He knows that mirror is there. And, I mean, yeah, without any hesitation, without even looking at it, maybe not even maybe trying to signal to Mm -hmm. her, oh, hey, I'm going to get out of my clothes now. Perhaps like He's kind of looking off in the distance. I mean, so was he doing it to maybe? Was he purposely changing hoping she was looking at him i don't know know. but it's just that moment where you kind of go um you know like oh he's you know he's gonna be a real gentleman but then you're also like seriously dude you just pointed out that there's a one-way mirror one-way mirror Mm -hmm. and without ensuring the fact that she's covered up her side you're just like oh okay i'm just gonna get undressed right now in front of the mirror yeah um and it's just this kind of super funny moment and she has the same type of like you know i don't should i i kind of want to see this but i know i shouldn't and yeah. then you know yeah. she also does the right thing because of course she's the innocent the virgin yes. and gotta maintain that yeah. um other things that you liked about this so there are other rituals going on throughout around the world at the same time mm-hmm. and apparently only one of them needs to succeed Right. And you see video uh, screens of other places um, where these rituals have failed. Uh, And the last one being Japan. Because there's a lot of stuff about Japan because apparently Japan has never failed. They always come through when they have to. And there's some kind of like, like if you've ever seen the movie like The Grudge, Mm -hmm. that's a Japanese horror movie. There's some sort of grudge situation going on where... And uh, it's happening in a schoolroom full of like nine-year-old girls, right? But somehow those girls manage to defeat their their evil their evil creature, and there's like a video feed of it, and they turn the creature they like sing a song and turn it into a little frog, right? And they're cheering, and uh, old Citizen is like leans over to the TV and just is shouting at these little children, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, <sighs> fuck you! They fucked us." Because yeah. now it's like down to the Americans. So if the Americans don't get their ritual to work, the world is doomed. Right. And so just him like leaning over and shouting at this TV screen, you know, at these little, sweet little school children. It even makes the comment, so funny. how hard is it to kill, kill a nine-year-old? I, right. That's great. Oh, that's a great line, too. Um, yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder, what is happening in all of those other countries yeah what is everyone else's regional like murder ritual right because this is the u.s version of the murder ritual Mm -hmm. um and they there's a scene where they kind of flash to different areas like in spain and in the middle east and in south america south america and like 
you know, Syria or mm-hmm. uh, Siberia, I think is one of them. And, and it, it just shows that they failed. And it definitely kind of makes you wonder, uh, so, so what, what's going, what's going on there? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? So, which is kind of, again, it's, it's the attention to those details that make this movie really good. Yes. Yeah. So, um, one other thing I would say is that, um, so we went, I believe it was in, it was four or five years ago. Uh, we were at one of the, at a Comic-Con. I believe we were at a Wizard World Comic-Con in Portland with some friends of ours. Uh-huh. And Bruce Campbell was there. Yeah. And one of the things that he was doing was he was there to promote um, his movie, Evil Dead, that was coming out. But So it was 2013. Um, and he was there to promote his movie, uh, the remake of Evil Dead that okay. came out. Um among other things. So he just released a book and all that stuff. So I was lucky enough to actually go sit in on a panel Mm. with him. Um, And I was the only one there because the rest of you guys were standing in some other line and missed it. (laughs) Missed getting in. The door got closed on our faces, essentially. We were about to walk into the room and they closed the doors and said, nope, no more. So, um... But anyway, so one of, you know, there's, they showed the, the first preview to Evil Dead then. And then, uh, there was a Q and A session after he had done his little speech or presentation. And one of the questions was how he felt about people who might make fun of or who ripped off his ideas, um, in other movies. And Mm -hmm. it was a clear reference to Cabin in the Woods, which had just come out the year prior, because Cabin in the Woods came out in 2012, right? And uh, this is at the early 2013 when I'm sitting in this panel. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a very sharp jab at that movie, and I remember Bruce Campbell kind of laughing and saying, "Look, there is a lot of room for these types of movies." Yeah, and ultimately, um, you know, you just have to like roll with it and enjoy them all for what they are. Um, and I thought that was a pretty cool thing that he wasn't jumping on this bandwagon. Like this fan was clearly clearly upset, upset on Bruce Campbell's behalf that this movie had dared to rip off the idea of evil dead about a cabin (laughs) in the woods that five College right. students had gone to, and horrible things are going to happen to. But uh, Bruce Campbell's answer was pretty classy and very much about just the idea that um, that was not the only movie where that same kind of idea, like, was the theme. Yeah. And so uh, there's room for a lot of those types of movies, and they each are going to have their own take on it. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I would say that, well, first of all, naming that movie cabin in the woods they're not they're not ripping anything off they're letting you know right you know, what the they're doing and then i would say that you know the, like the cabin is where the similarities begin and end right i think those are very very different films yeah well you've got the five college students going to a creepy cabin and then you're kind of done yeah <laughs> so anyway i just thought it was an interesting um, moment to, cause I had, I'd probably just recently seen Cabin in the Woods mm-hmm. because again, I don't like horror movies and I was conflicted cause I was like, I really enjoy Joss Whedon films. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy horror movies. Um, and so I had waited until it came out on DVD and I think you and I had actually yeah, watched, it watched it together. together. Yeah. You watched it with me. Um, and so, uh, that, was you know early on in me yeah. dipping my toe into horror movies i think you had me warn you anytime a death scene was going to happen i think so too <laughs> pretty sure that's how we got to it that makes sense yeah all right so uh dislikes are we on to uh, anything we maybe didn't like so much about it um gosh i don't the only thing i really like the ultimate ending like right. when they say, you know, oh, you know, if the the the, if the ritual doesn't work, the old gods rise up and, you know, destroy the world or whatever. 
that ends up being a little unsatisfying and I can't put my finger on why because there's a, there's an effect of like a big hand coming out of the right. Who's supposed to be Kronos, one of the Titans. Okay. It's not great. I don't know. I just can't, I just, every time I see it, I'm like, God, I had so much fun with this movie up until this part. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, just how they end it that way. So it ends with the destruction of the world. That's like, that's kind of that's, that's a bummer. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know what, I don't know what the solution is. Right. To, to change that ending and make it better. But I just, I always find it unsatisfying. Hmm. I can't put my finger on why. Yeah. Um, I, I can see that. I kind of think it is, it is interesting because I do all, like, I then want to know like, okay, well, what happens next? Like, mm-hmm. is it a battle of the Titans? Do they... Does humanity eventually resubdue them? Mm-hmm. You know, and how do they do that? What's the point? Like, I mean, what's the, what's the pivotal moment? Like, you know, it, it does lead me to that interesting, like, well, what happens next? Piece. Um, I don't. I don't know that I didn't like it, but I thought it was such an interesting character turn at the end. So Sigourney Weaver, the director, comes out. And explains the ritual and the purpose of the ritual. Yep. And um, Marty is like, yeah, your ritual sucks. Maybe maybe they, they should waken up. Like, you just have to kill me? Like, I don't think that's fair. But then he turns around because Dana has actually, like, is seriously considering shooting him. Yes. Now, like, mm-hmm. oh, if I kill you, my friend, I save humanity. Yeah. Right. And isn't that like the classic hero's dilemma, though? Like, is uh, do I sacrifice one life? Right. Um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So you see it in Star Trek. Um, you actually just saw it in Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Like, same type of thing. Like, we're not going to kill the vision because, like, no, you, a single life still yeah, matters. Lives, so. Right. You know, um, and, you know, and, and yet, because they don't trade that life, half of humanity or half of the universe dies, yeah. you know? Um, and so it's that classic dilemma there of what do you do? And it, so it's interesting that, you know, in in this particular movie, the heroine um, is is actually like, okay, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the best solution. Yeah. I can shoot you and this whole thing stops. Um, and, and of course, that doesn't happen because a werewolf sneaks out and, and bites her and bites her and begins mauling her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Marty saves her. He still comes back yeah. to save her from that. And then she apologizes. I'm sorry. I almost yeah. shot you. <laughs> and then they kind of hang out together for the end of the world. Right. You know, it... Uh, you know, would it have been better if Marty ends up just doing the total hero turn and like, you know, sacrifices, sacrifices himself? No, I don't think so. I don't like that. Right. Yeah, I don't like that either. But I just don't know. I don't know what you do. Right. Yeah. So it was, I think the in, the ending is, is the most interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, as far as like things that I just dislike, I don't know. It's just too much fun the rest of the way right you know so so yeah i don't really have anything to complain about all the the performances are good there's nobody there's no actor in this where you're like like well where did they find that guy you know everybody's good so yeah i agree um and it's always funny to see um you know joss whedon has friends a series of friends that show up in all of his shows. Mm-hmm. Like at some point in time, if he has participated in it, you will see Amy Acker yeah. show up. Um, you will see uh, Fran Kranz show up. Uh, you will see who else is uh, pretty common? Tom Link, Link, who plays Ronald the intern. Okay. Um, so in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he's. Uh, one of the like there's three guys who end up like they're all idiots but they end up being trying to be her nemesis buffy's nemesis for like the last season or the Uh last couple of seasons Mm -hmm. um 
And uh, so he's there. And so there are these different actors that kind of just continually show up in Joss Whedon films, which is actually pretty fun, I yeah. think. Every time I see them, I'm like, oh, hey, I've seen you. Like, again, here you are again. Um, but it is just sometimes pretty funny because you can pretty much guarantee Joss Whedon's involved in it. You'll see one of these characters mm. pop up. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Well, I guess, uh, so is that all we have then for The Cabin in the Woods? I think so. All right. All right. Our first October cast. That's right. Uh, We'll have to see how long we continue with the Halloween theme. Well, next... Or the horror movie theme. Well, next week, I don't know so much horror, but it's still... uh, you know, next week Venom comes out. Right. So I think that's what we're probably going to do next. So that's still going to be supernaturally. Yes. Something. So I'm excited. Know. Well, good. <laughs> One so, of us is. Yes. I, hopefully, I will be pleasantly surprised. I I am sure that you will be. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. If you have any thoughts on The Cabin in the Woods or any of our other movies we've reviewed or want to suggest a future movie or a beverage for us to try, you can email the podcast, ddkpodcasting at gmail.com. Find us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts or iTunes or a bunch of other podcasting applications. Subscribe to us there. Review us, rates, all that stuff. You know, Tell your friends about us if you like what you do, what we're doing. Uh, we'd appreciate it. All right, so uh, until next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Venom, I guess. Go see a movie. Thanks for listening.